they made you feel like they lived a life that was unattainable. Right, right. And that's yeah. just not realistic. Yeah, yeah. That's not yeah. realistic. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Not, not. Like, be real. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. if you struggling with porn, tell people you struggling with porn right. so they can say, I'm struggling with porn too. <laughs> let's get let's get free together. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's like, and, and, and so I really think that freedom will, will, will happen if our leaders start being free. What is up, everyone? We are back with another episode of Shaping the Culture. You know, like, let's just get to it. The whole secular sacred divide. There is no distinction in, in the scriptures. Some of us have trust issues with God. And right, some right. of us, yeah, it's like, does God really got us? You can't engage the culture with the gospel that first has not engaged you. Like, you know how people are like, oh, that's just who I am. No. no. <laughs> Awesome, man. awesome. Well, welcome to Atlanta, Preston. Yeah, man. It's my first time in the city. Yeah, how you like it? It's cool. <laughs> it's good. A lot of wings spots and, and, and churches everywhere. That's I cool. know, it's right? Cool. That's awesome. We did have some jollof rice earlier today. Yeah, man. Yeah, Was this your first time having jollof rice? Not my first time, but my first time here in Atlanta. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's good. good. Y'all ever had jollof? Yeah. Fire. <laughs> awesome. Well, I'm sure everybody in this room probably knows you, knows of you. But for those who may not know, can you guys, can you just give a quick testimony of how you met the Lord and uh, how he saved you? Man, you want the long version or the short version? What do you guys want? The long version or the short version? Uh, okay, okay, I'm going to get a short version. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I, I grew up on the south side of Chicago. Um I think I, I, I want to start off by saying I, I didn't grow up in church. Uh, I love the church now, but I, I didn't grow up in church. My mom uh, raised me, uh, my two sisters, and my and my brother. <clears throat> you know, um, and we lived in poverty-stricken areas. We lived in the hood. My mom would get a good job. We moved to the suburbs, and then she would lose the house that we were in. Then we go back to the hood. And so I lived, man, probably in the course of my childhood. I probably lived in like 34 different homes. We lived, we moved a lot. Um, and, and, um, yeah, like, uh, I, the first time I heard the gospel was at a house church. Uh, I was trying to holler at this girl and her, um, her, her parents was, uh, pastors. And so uh -huh. she, uh, her, her mom told me, she's like, if you want to talk to my daughter, you got to come to church. <laughs> and so I was 15 and I was just like obsessed with this girl. Mm, yeah. Uh, and so I started going to church and one day her father got up and preached and he said, um, he said something I'll never forget. He was like, if you think God being up, if you think God being a God of love means He won't destroy you because of your sin, you just don't know what love is. Mm -hmm. You don't know who God is, yeah. and that shook me. I didn't give my life to the Lord that day, but I believe that was the that was the that's when the Lord began to pursue me. Mm -hmm. um, I became keenly aware of my sin, yeah. and I believe the Lord began to pursue me like relentlessly yeah. after that. Yeah. And um, I would like breaking cars with my homeboys and be like, you know, God watching us, right? <laughs> I would like say things like that all the time, yeah, you know yeah. what I'm saying? Because of what old boy said at church that yeah, day. Yeah. And uh, when I was 18, uh, my friend Chris was shot uh, outside my house. Mm. And my mom, who was a nurse, came outside and tried to revive him. Mm. And when she was trying to revive him, I felt like the Lord was saying to me, this is you and your sin. Mm. You're, you're dead in your sin. And that shook me. Um, I called my aunt, who was like a minister. She was like a minister on my dad's side. Yeah. Wasn't really close to my dad, but like I was close to her. Yeah. 
and she was like, just come live with me. Yeah. And I was like, I don't know if I want to come live with you because you go to church every week, yeah. all week yeah. long. But I, I don't know why I just kind of felt like I should go live with her. One, because I wanted yeah. to stay alive. Yeah. Um, two, because uh, she was going to give me three meals a day. Uh, and so I, I went and, and, and you know, and, and stayed with her as she played a pivotal, pivotal part in my salvation. Um, I, uh, I remember like waking up in the morning and I would like have oil on my head and I did not know, I'm dead serious, I did not know why I had oil on my head. I was like, why is my head producing natural oil? <laughs> it like somebody rubbed a piece of fried chicken on my head like every morning. And then one morning, uh, uh, I was like five o'clock in the morning and she came in and she was like, watch over him, Lord. Watch his coming in and going out. Save his soul, Lord. And uh, looking back, I just I just know like God really honored her prayers. Yeah. She introduced me to this guy named Gary Brown, who <clears throat> was a was a gang member growing up. Like he was a he was in this gang called Blackstones in my my old neighborhood. Yeah. When I came back came back to this neighborhood, God had radically changed his life. And uh, she was like, I want you to like you know hang with Gary. And Gary began to disciple me. Mm -hmm. You know, he was like, I know you didn't grow up in church, but I want to teach you how to read the scriptures. I want to teach you you know, about God, and I really think God and his sovereignty sent somebody like him, because for me, I couldn't really hear the, the like, Christian stuff from, like, church, church people. They always judged me personally. I always felt judged by the church, but this dude, I mean, he was just, he came in a package that I understood. I mean, he wearing Jordans, hoodies, you know what I'm saying? Kind of like you, huh? Yeah, yeah like, yeah. you know what I mean? That's, I still dress like I always dress. And um, I remember... Um, the day that I, I gave my life to the Lord, it was crazy because he I had been he been discipling me, mentoring me for probably for like three or four months at this time, and I began to like do everything that he did. You know, I, I, I stopped smoking weed, I stopped selling drugs, I stopped fornicating. I would fall occasionally, you know how it is. Um, but I stopped doing that stuff because I looked up to him so much, and I started to convince myself that like, you know, we had matching hearts. Like I was saved. And one day we was going to go play basketball. We went into the bank and we drive into the, um, the drive-through and the bank teller begins to flirt with Gary. Mm. Uh -oh. And this is real simple, but the Lord uses to like really change my life. Yeah. And I'm like, yo, I know he finna get her, get her number. Like yeah. she really fine, you know what I'm saying? Like yeah. she, you know what I'm saying? She had all her teeth, she was really beautiful. <laughs> uh, and and um, Gary kind of like entertained it a little bit. Gary stopped flirting back. And this is the first time I was like, this is the first time I see my big bro flirting with a girl. Like, you know what I'm saying? So I'm sitting in the passenger seat, and then he just abruptly ends the conversation and uh, drives off after he got his, his uh, money and his ID back. And then 10 minutes later, he pulls over the car to the side of the road, and he was like, P, I want to apologize to you. Mm -hmm. And I was like, what you want to apologize to me for? Yeah. And he was like, bro, all my thoughts was lustful when I was talking to that girl mm -hmm. back there. Mm -hmm. He was like, and not only that, I did that while you was in the car. I wasn't, I wasn't a good example to you. That's not godly, mm. yada, yada, would you pray, pray with me? And I'm like, this guy is crazy. Yeah, yeah. Like, why is, he, why, is he, why is he feeling convicted because of something like that? Yeah. But he began to pray and ask Lord to Lord, like, mm. to the Lord to forgive him for his sins and all of this stuff. And it was deep. It felt like the Lord was saying to me at that moment, Preston, this is what it means to love me, yeah. and you don't love me like Gary mm. loves me. Mm. And that night I went home after we played basketball, and I just kind of felt the weight of everything that I ever did. Like, I, I, it was like this big weight on me. Like, and it was like the Lord began to like bring to my remembrance all the times that I stole, all the times that I disrespected my parents, all the times that I fornicated, all the times that I sold drugs. And it felt so heavy, it felt like I couldn't, 
I couldn't be forgiven. That's, it, it almost felt like that. And I remember trying to find the right words in my room to ask God to save me, yeah. and I couldn't find the right words to say. I was so frustrated. Yeah. And yeah. I remember just saying, Lord, I want to love you like Gary loves you. Mm. Forgive me for my sins. Wow. Yeah. And I just felt this weight come off of me. Mm. I just felt like this lightness. Yeah. And, and, and I just began to like pray and yeah. like cry. Yeah. And I believe the, the Lord saved me that day in my room. Wow. So that's the, that's the semi-long story. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's good. That's good. Um, I love the word because the word says we will overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. And I enjoy hearing that testimony because it does something for my soul, does something for my faith. What I have found to be true over the years is that um, we have faith that God will save us, but somewhere down the line, we, we feel like his grace is not enough to sustain us. And in the last three years, as life is happening, as culture is happening, as politics is happening, um, we, I've just seen, I'll speak for myself, I've just, my faith began to wane a little bit. And I began to believe that God wasn't great enough to meet me where I was at. And so maybe there's somebody in here who can resonate with that. Maybe they're in that season right now. Maybe they went through that. They can resonate with that. But what does it look like to trust God not only for our salvation, but for our sanctification? Man, um, that's a good question. Sanctification is a process. Yeah, yeah. I think that we have to really look at it like that. I think when we, one thing to remember, when God saves us, He's saving us. That's good. That's right? Because I think, like, when we, when we think about um, being saved, we th sometimes we might think it's just one and done thing. And it's just like, no, we're saved because he will ultimately um, get us through and to the, to the point we'll, we'll, we'll be with him forever um, in, in heaven. Yeah. But, no, sanctification is a process. That's I right. think everybody has to be patient with that process yeah, yeah. Um, because we serve a God who's patient. Yeah. You know, I remember when I first... Um, got saved, uh, I, like I said, I kept for falling into fornication. Yeah. It was like the one thing that I couldn't, I couldn't shake. Yeah. And I remember falling and I felt so condemned. Um, and I called myself walking away from the faith. <laughs> yeah. uh, walking away from God. Yeah. Not because I didn't f feel like God was good, because I was in church and I didn't know, I didn't know, I didn't know the Bible like that yet. Mm. I just kind of felt like I wasn't good enough to, to be you know, in this body of Christ. Yeah, yeah. And I remember um, being, um, sitting at my, uh, you know how like when you get saved, you break all your CDs, you like, so you throw your Tupac CDs out. <laughs> I threw my Tupac CDs out, I threw the DMX out. Yeah. I, I, I took yeah. all my posters down, you know yeah, what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did all of the stuff yeah, that yeah, you're supposed yeah, to do. Yeah, I, yeah. Well, I thought you're supposed to do it, you know what I'm saying? Like you broke the CDs and then I broke around. the CDs, yeah, yeah, cause yeah, I was yeah. like, if I don't break the CDs, I can return back gotcha. to the yeah, CDs, yeah, you know yeah, what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> um, and so I did all I did all the things, and so when I when I call myself walking away from the Lord, I call myself going back to the things that I used to do, mm. and so like I had stopped watching all kind of crazy stuff online. So I was like, man, I'm gonna watch some fights on World Star Hip Hop because I ain't saved no more. <laughs> yeah, yeah, World Star. <laughs> yeah, you know what I'm saying? I'm gonna watch some fights on World Star Hip Hop. Y'all yeah. know y'all watching fights on World Star Hip Hop back in the day. You know what I'm saying? I used to love doing that, yeah. but when I got saved, I stopped doing that. Yeah. And I remember, this is going to sound real simple, too. The Lord be using simple stuff to speak to me. Y'all probably default here. The Lord be real simple <laughs> with me. I was at the, <laughs> at the computer watching this fight on World Star Hip Hop. Yeah, yeah. And this guy knocked this other guy out. And he kept kicking him in his face while he was unconscious. Yeah. And I began to cry. Mm. 
I just began to weep for this man at the, at the computer. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I was like, bro, you didn't see people murdered. Yeah. Why are you crying for this man? Yeah. And the Lord spoke to me and was like, because your heart is new. Mm, mm, yeah. You belong to me now. Yeah, yeah. You, you, even though you're trying to walk away, like, no, no, no. You're, and, and that was the first time I started to understand that my walk is a sanctification process. Yeah, that's right. That God is continually renewing me into the image of his son, Jesus Christ, yeah, every day. Yeah. And so after that, I stopped, I stopped putting so much pressure on myself. Yeah. And I just understood that this walk is a process. Yeah. That my salvation is a process. That's and I good. just put it in his hands. That's good. That's powerful. That's powerful. Yeah. Um, there's a couple of things that you said that I want to lean into. Uh, you, you said that you didn't know your word yet. And what the Lord did is he met you while watching World Star. That's, encour that's encouraging. Right. God will meet you anywhere. He'll meet you anywhere, right? Yeah. Um, but it's also, it's also important to note that one of the ways that we continue to grow in our faith is by washing ourselves with the word of the, word, with the, word of the Lord. Um, I, I live in a day and age. We live in a day and age. And I don't know, maybe Atlanta is different. But in Minnesota, uh, whenever we see somebody taking their faith seriously, studying the word, doing a word study, exegeting the text, when they're studying the historical context, the literary context, all these things, um, the immediate response is, well, maybe you're called into ministry. Uh, you're taking this a bit seriously. I love that you're studying the word. Maybe you're called to serve as a pastor or a home group leader or Bible study. And I just feel that that's inconsistent with what the scripture teaches about what a disciple is. A disciple is a disciplined follower. And us studying and reading our word doesn't mean we're called into ministry. It means we're disciples of Jesus. And so can you speak to the importance of knowing God's word and how knowing God's word will help? I mean, the word says, you shall know the word and the word shall set you free. But before the word sets you free, you've got to know the word. And so can you talk about why it's important for everyone, not just church leaders, to know the word of God? Yeah, and because the Great Commission, Matthew 28, tells us to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And the thing is, he's not talking to just leadership. Yeah, he's good. not talking to just pastors and elders and youth pastors. He's talking to every believer. Yeah. And I think that the church does a good job of teaching people how to call a spade a spade from the pulpit, but we don't teach people how to play cards, mm. right? Meaning we, we do a good job, and this is not me critiquing the church, because I think people critique the church often, but I have a true love for the church, yeah. and so my critique is a healthy critique. Yeah. I just want to make that yeah. clear, but yeah. I, I do think that we, 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 we know how to talk at people at social media, but when we get out to the real world, we don't know how to make disciples because we don't know the Bible ourselves. Yeah. And so I think the church really has to do a good job of doing, you know, teaching people how to exegete the text, yeah. doing hermeneutics classes, yeah, yeah. teaching people how to read contextually, yeah. teaching people how to look for Jesus in the Old Testament, yeah, yeah. teaching people how to um, properly explain the triune God of Scripture, yeah. teaching people how, you know, like teaching people the Bible so when we get out in the world and when we have these conversations, we can know how to point people back to Christ. Yeah. And so that's what we don't do. We we know how to we know how to quote our pastor, <laughs> you know. And 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 if your pastor is doing so many quotables and he ain't opening up that text, you probably should talk to him about that. Yeah, yeah. Because the word of God is what is is what gonna change that's people. Right. Not quotables. Yeah. Not you know yeah. feel good sermons. The word of God is yeah. is, is what the power is. Yeah, yeah. And so I think that if we're gonna if we're gonna be disciples, we have to know the word. Yeah. And if we're gonna make disciples, we also have to know the word. That's good. That's so good. I love that because as I think about what it looks like to stand firm in the faith, discipleship is a big part of that. Yeah. 
And I think a lot of the times in, in church right now, we, we like to uh, fill empty seats, but we don't know how to make disciples. And I have learned that it's easy to fill seats. It's difficult to serve the heart. Those yeah. are two completely different things. And, you know, I think that we have to get back to who Jesus is. And I, and I wanted to ask you, uh, what does it look like to disciple in such a way that will keep us accountable to Jesus? Because I think discipleship serves as an antidote to standing firm in the faith. I think... What, repeat the question. What yeah. does it mean to what? What does it look like to disciple so that we can stand firm in the faith? I think that's what yeah, I'm yeah, really yeah, trying yeah. to cool. ask. Yeah, yeah, cool, yeah. Cool, cool. Yeah, I mean, I think the, for, for me, uh, I, I don't think that I would be the Christian that I am, the husband that I am, the father that I am, if it wasn't for discipleship. Um, discipleship has been just, it's been vital for me, you know. Um, I think discipleship, uh, we, we see discipleship in the scriptures, you know. Um, Jesus is walking past um, John the Baptist and his disciples, and um, John the Baptist goes, look, there goes the Lamb of God, and they begin to follow him. Um, and when they followed him, Jesus noticed it, and Jesus was like, what are you seeking? Jesus turns back and he says, and, 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 and they say, Jesus, where are you staying? Yeah. And now they didn't ask Jesus this question because they wanted to see what his house looked like. Right. Yeah. Right. They basically saying, Jesus, we want to see how you live. Yeah. As a matter of fact, they said rabbi, which means teacher. Yeah. We want to see how you live. Yeah. And so so we have to know contextually in the old like in the Old Testament and even in Jesus's time, the way they learned from people was shadowing a rabbi. Yeah. That's how they learned, right? Yeah. And so notice how they didn't say, Jesus, when is the next conference? Yeah. Or like, Jesus, when the next time you're doing a, um, you know, preaching a sermon on the mount? Like, yeah. No, they was like, Jesus, we want to learn from you by seeing how you live. Yeah. And so I think church is cool, and I'm not knocking, like, conferences. I do conferences all the time, and I'm not knocking events. I, I'm doing an event right now. Right, right. But I do think that they, ha they, they, that they should be used as an open door to, to, to do things deeper, to right. go on a deeper level. Right, right, right. And so I think churches have to start developing discipleship cultures in the church mm -hmm. where, where we're not just coming to church every Sunday and just listening to someone preach, but I think the older people have to do a good job of Letting letting older younger people come into your house, yeah, letting yeah. them see how you love your wife, yeah. letting them see how you work through conflict with yeah. your with your spouse, yeah. letting them see how you serve your your children. Uh, I I gave my life to the Lord by watching the man disciple me fail. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, think about that. Yeah, yeah. Like I didn't I didn't give my life to the Lord by watching this perfect Christian. Yeah. It was it was it was. Because I, I think a lot of times when we think about discipleship, I think people stray away from it because we don't live perfect lives. Right, right. But Jesus is not, he doesn't want us to display perfect lives. He yeah. wants us to display that we trust in a perfect God. That's good. Right? Yeah, he yeah. wants us, want us to display our neediness. And yeah. so I think life-on-life -life discipleship relationships like that yeah. allows people to practically see. Right. We hear all the time, but yeah. people don't practically see a life dependent on Jesus. Yeah, yeah. And so I think that's, that's why discipleship is so powerful. Yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah, I think about even my own journey. I think uh, I grew up in a cultural context where I only saw the strengths of my leaders. I never saw their weaknesses. And so when I got older and I became a leader, I'm like, what do I do with all these weaknesses? And I began to wonder, well, maybe God hasn't called me or, or maybe I'm disqualified or maybe there's something wrong with me because I, I just, everybody around me seems to be good. They're not struggling. But if I had a model of someone who displayed their weakness, and not just to display their weakness, just to display it, but to show me what to do with that. Yeah. 
Yeah, Where did it go with that? That's really good. I want to yeah. just say this real quick. I think discipleship doesn't just look like an older person, you know, um, um, like yeah. like leading you or whatever. But also, yeah. I think it, 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 it it's practical, you know, e- even in our everyday relationships. Like, to be honest, when I first became married to my wife, I discouraged my wife for the first year I was married married to her. Yeah. She thought she was the worst sinner. Mm. And, he, and, and, and what's deep was I realized that the discipleship relationships I had before I was married, it didn't translate into my marriage. Mm. And the reason why is because I, I, I display no weakness in front of her. Mm. Mm. And so, like, she started to feel like I was way more holy than her, yeah. but I, I wasn't. Yeah. I, would, I, just, I just hid well and she didn't. Wow. Right, and so I think when we when we do that, when we don't let our lives yeah. be transparent, yeah. what your leaders did, they 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 made you feel like they lived a life that was unattainable. Right, right, and that's yeah. just not realistic. Yeah, yeah. that's not yeah. realistic. Yeah. You know it's what I'm saying? Not, not. Like, be real. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. if you struggling with porn, tell people you struggling with porn, right. so they can say I'm struggling with porn too. <laughs> let's get let's get free together. Yeah, that's right. It's like, and, and so I really think that freedom will will, will happen if our leaders start being. Mm free yeah that's good that's good the reason why that's important is is i'm processing the last three years you know if you don't believe that there's room and space for you to bleed Mm -hmm. then when you're bleeding you won't have a safe place to go and if you don't have a safe place to go then what ends up happening is you say well maybe this christianity isn't for me i've heard over and over and over again people say man i'm still dealing with the same thing maybe god isn't real and there's no room to communicate, I'm doubting. There's no room to communicate, I'm struggling. And we don't create a safe space and environment for that to be. So can I, I wanted to ask you, um, why is it important to tell people that God is not intimidated by our weaknesses and that God wants to hear us confess to him that we're struggling? Oh, man, that's a really good question. <sighs> man, um, me and my wife, we do a podcast, um, and probably four months before the podcast, I had my wife uh, found out that I was uh, I was addicted at that time to pornography, and I was like, man, uh, like three days before we was about to do our first podcast, I think our first podcast is going to be some stupid like, uh, why did we start a podcast? It was, it was some dumb like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. And I was praying one morning, and I was like, man, like, uh, I, I really felt like the Lord was like, I want the first podcast to be how you fell into pornography. And I was like, Lord, are you serious? Yeah. Uh, my mama might hear that podcast. I don't want <laughs> yeah. uh, And I just felt with this, this shame. But the shame that I felt, the public shame that I, I, I thought about that I would receive also was the shame that I felt with God. Mm. Um, and what was deep was when I... When I, when I, when I, when Jackie found out she was hurt, me and my, my, my marriage became really hard after that because I had to build her trust up and all that. Uh, I was reading Hebrews and Hebrews 4 and 14 was, became one of my favorite passages and it encouraged me so much. Uh, it says, seeing now that we have a great high priest, Jesus, the son of man who has passed through the heavens. It says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize mm. with our weakness, mm-hmm. but one who was tempted in every respect just yeah. as we are. Yeah yet without sin then it goes on to say therefore come to the throne of grace with confidence that we might find grace and help in our time of need and that encouraged me so much because 
it shows us that we serve a God that knows what it feels like to be human. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, that might sound simple, but if we no, think about yeah. the weight of that, yeah, yeah. Jehovah's Witnesses can't say that. Mm. The Muslims can't say that. Yeah. The Hebrew Israelites can't say that. Yeah. The Mormons can't say that. Yeah. They don't serve a God who, who, can, who can experientially relate to their struggle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? That's right. And so... I began to meditate on that thing. My God condescended and became a man, yeah. not to just merely die for me, but to empathize with the fact that I'm weak. Yeah, that's good. That's deep. That's deep, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's really yeah. deep. Yeah, yeah. Not only that, it goes on to say he was without sin. Mm. And so not only, it, and so this is the reason why at the end of the verse it says that we can find grace and help. Yeah. Because, that's good. right, that's be, good. Because, he, because he became a man. Yeah. Right, he can empathize with your weakness, yeah, and so yeah. there's always going to be grace at his throne. Yes, yes. He can always advocate to you before the Father. He yes. can say, Father, I was human. I, I know what they're going through. Yeah, yeah. Right, well, because he was perfect, there it is. He can help you. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. so there's grace yeah. and help, help. at his yeah. throne. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And so when I when I begin to meditate on that thing, I was like, Wow, there's no need for me to have self condemnation. That's good because Jesus literally paid it all. Yeah. Like he literally like went to extreme measures yeah. to take all the shame, all the, all the sin away from me. And so yeah. I just got to lay it at his feet. Yeah. And the beautiful thing about going to the throne of grace, mm. Jesus will never say, it's you again. Yeah. <laughs> he'll never say that. That's like, right. he'll never get tired That's right. of you. That's right. That's good, man. He'll never get tired of you coming to him. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think you really have to just meditate on that and believe that. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. I, um, yeah, you can go applause for that. Thank you, Matt. <laughs> He's apologian up here. <laughs> uh, I, uh, I want to, okay, let me give some context. So uh, I studied psychology in college, and I remember in my, I went to a Christian university, and in my lifespan uh, uh, psychology course, my professor shared a devotional, and he was saying how, you know, your father <clears throat> is the first picture of how you receive grace and understand love. So if your dad doesn't give you that healthy picture, you will have a hard time receiving that from your heavenly father. And so, and that, you know, that was very telling for, there's a lot of healing that came from that because I'm like, oh, I started to begin to, I began to understand myself and how I related to God. But speak to people who you know, maybe you're in this room who feel like I can't relate to that. I can't relate to the fact that God is not tired of me because I grew up in a home or I grew up in a community. I grew up in a context where I was not put up with, that I was not received well. And somewhere down the line, we said, well, if people look at me like this, then God also looks at me like this. And people having a hard time connecting with their God because they, they, they believe that God will do them the way their father did, the way their uncle did, the way their cousin did, the way their mother did, so on and so forth. How do we break free of that and see that God is better and greater than our earthly examples? I think we just have to meditate that on the, on the fact that God is so unlike us. Like, he is so unlike human beings. Yeah, it's good. Uh, and I don't mean this to be disrespectful. We trash. Yeah, yeah that's right. Right? Um, and because of sin, I think just going back to even Hebrews, the, the scripture, and there's so many other scriptures that we can meditate, but Jesus was not stained by sin. Yeah, yeah. I had a really rough, 
I had a really rough relationship with my father. Um, we did not, the first time I, I stayed with him, I was 18, um, before, I li- before I went to go live with my aunt. I tried to stay with him for six months and he kicked me out because he said I was too bad. I'm like, you ain't, you ain't be here all my whole life. You can put up with me right now. You know what I'm saying? Uh, <laughs> I snuck a girl in his house. He was like, that's it. I'm like, my mama couldn't do that. Like, yeah. talking about some, that's it. But, uh, and I, I, I remember, <clears throat> I remember when I became a Christian going through this forgiveness forgiveness process with him and uh my father he was like a traditional christian like you know he was very church um and i felt like i had like a real encounter with the lord i'm not saying he he didn't it just didn't seem like it all the time (laughs) you know and i remember um going through this forgiveness process with him and i remember the lord um just ministering to me about my father and i feel like the lord was saying to me preston your father has been stained by sin He's a sinner, yeah. right? Um, and it's not that he didn't want to be there. Yeah. It's just because the, he had particular sins in his life that, 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 that made him a certain way, and he just didn't know how, yeah. right? That's right? Jesus is 100% man, yeah. 100% God. Yeah. Not only can he not fail, he can't fail you. Yeah, that's good. That's right? Good. My father can fail me because so many people failed him. Mm. God's goodness is not... Yeah, contingent yeah. on anybody. Yeah, yeah, it's good. Yeah. He's not affected by anybody. He's yeah. outside time, space, yeah. and matter. Yeah, yeah. He's not affected. And so, like, the people that who's done you wrong in your life, it's not merely because they're jerks. Yeah. It's that they're tainted by sin. Yeah. And so this is the this is the beautiful thing that we that we that we have in the Christian faith. We have somebody who's not tarnished. Yeah. He's not affected. Yeah. He's not traumatized. Yeah. Right? He he's not wounded. Yeah, right? And so he's right. not going to wound you. That's hurt good. people hurt people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he's not wounded. He's sufficient within yes, himself. Yes, yes, and yes. so he's completely trustworthy. He's completely right. holy. He's completely infinite. Like yeah. and so and so there's nothing for him to give you other than goodness. Mm. Like, Jesus really does deserve yeah. our everything. Yeah, yeah. And he's completely trustworthy. Yeah. And so I think we just have to meditate on that. He's preaching better than y'all talking. Yeah, that was good. <laughs> that was good. Well, it is a live podcast event. We want to include people in the conversation. So I just got one more question for you, and yeah. then we'll move into the next segment. Um, maybe someone is in here, and they're saying, well, you know, for me, it's not really about my struggle with sin or me knowing the word or not. I just, I've, I've gone through a lot and I've seen a lot of difficult times and it's hard for me to believe that God is good. Um, when, you, when you're talking about this fact that he's not wounded, therefore he won't wound me or he's not hurt, therefore he won't hurt me. Well, how do you explain losing a loved one? How do you explain um, losing my job? How do you explain xyz um how do we make sense of pain and suffering in light of the goodness of god man that's a man you got all the deep questions sheesh man um i remember um man when it when it comes to suffering um I think we have to understand that God is not calling us to suffer in the way that he's calling the world to suffer. I'll give a quick story. So when I was growing up, um, the man who raised me, my Uncle Stan, who was like a pillar in my family, he was on the radio in Chicago. He started like this popular thing called the birthday line. Uh, If you're from Chicago, you know about the birthday line. Um, And he was just the man, you know, we would like be in the house and like he would like walk in with like Shaq and like Ice Cube. And we was like, this dude is so cool. 
Um, and one, more, one, one early one morning, like five o'clock in the morning, somebody shot and killed them. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember <clears throat> going over my, my grandmother's house. We all kind of like descended to the south suburbs of my grandmother's house to like mourn and be there for one another. And I remember um, when I when I like before I went there, like man, I'm so sad, but I feel like I'm I'm about to gain strength from my uncles, who I thought was the strongest people in my mm-hmm. family. I look up to all of my uncles, especially my uncle Stan, yeah. and they were all like hurting little boys. Yeah. And it was this, it was at that time, it was this, the most sad I've ever been. Mm-hmm. And everybody was sad. Yeah. Everybody was suffering. Everybody was going through it. Yeah, yeah. And I remember my grandmother, who was the only Christian in my family. Mm-hmm saying, I, I want to go in my room, and I don't want nobody to bother me. I want to stay there all day. I need to get before the Lord. Yeah. And I remember my mom saying, um, you sure you don't want nobody to be with you? She's like, no, nah, Pam, I want to just be by myself. I want to I be by myself. Yeah. And so my, my grandmother, she stayed in her room all day. Yeah. And we were worried about her. She was just like in there praying. We were periodically hearing her praying, shouting, or whatever. She came out the next morning, and I'll never forget this. I was 13 years old. She came out and she just looked different. Mm. Like her face looked different. Yeah. She came out praying for us, laying hands on us, mm. encouraging us. Mm. And she had a new song in her heart. Mm. And I couldn't for the life of me, I was so confused yeah. on how she got this strength. Even at the funeral, she was just so strong. Mm. And so fast forward years later, yeah. I was, ni- I was uh, 20 years old. I think I was 20 years old. I had just gave my life to the Lord. And my grandmother came to stay with us because she was getting older in age. And I went in her room, and I said, Grandma, you remember when Uncle Stan was murdered, and you went in your room that day, and you just stayed before the Lord all day? And she, she was like, yeah, I remember. I was like, where, where did you get this strength from? And she told me, she said, Preston, when Stan died, I, I felt like I was going to die. Mm. She was like, that was the first time in my life where I felt like I could not be strong for my family. Mm. I went in there. She said around 6 o'clock, I, I, I prayed, and I said, Lord, Give me the strength to be strong for my family or take me right now. Mm. And she said, at that moment, I enter into God's rest, and mm. I've been there ever since. Wow. Yeah. And I was like, wow. Mm. And then she said, Preston, you have to understand that the, that the Christian does not suffer like the rest of the world mm. suffers. Mm. She was like, I was suffering like your mom, mm. but I was not suffering in the same way as your mom. Yeah, yeah. I wasn't suffering like someone who did not know Jesus. Yeah. I wasn't suffering like someone who didn't have no hope. Yeah. And the thing about suffering yeah. is it's the, the whole world is going to suffer. Yeah. Yeah. First Peter, I think it's First Peter 4, 12, it talks about suffering. And it talks about don't suffer as a meddler or as an evildoer yeah. or, or somebody who does not know Christ, but yeah. suffer like you know Jesus. Yeah. But he's basically saying when the world suffer, yeah. at the end of their life, it's more suffering. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, what, but, but if we can suffer with Jesus now, yeah, yeah. at the end of our life is glory. Yeah, at the yeah. end of our life is peace. Yeah. At the end of our life is joy. Yeah. Not only that, it says Jesus suffers with us. Mm. Like I said before, we don't serve a God who's telling us to go through anything that he did not go through yeah, himself. Yeah, yeah. We serve a God who came and suffered as a man. We yeah. serve a God who came and died as a man. Yeah, yeah. And so I think when we have a right theology of yeah, suffering, yeah. I think we can praise God in the midst of our suffering. Yeah, no.